following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. The desperate need of the gospel and the scriptures of Jesus Christ for my life and for yours. And looking at the scripture and recognizing that all of scripture is God-breathed and inspired by God and therefore uh, designed for our edification, for our building up, for our conviction, and for our good, even the beginning of chapter 15, or chapter 16 of Romans, which is a list of names. Hello to Bob, and hello to Susie, and hello to Stephen, and hello uh, to the Smiths, and uh, greetings to these folks, and greetings to those folks. And it's just really easy to kind of jump down to verse 17 to, I appeal to you, therefore... Uh, to say a few things, and then jump past the next few verses on over to the doxology of chapter 25, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you ever asked or imagined in the gospel, Woom! and forget the names. But we're not going to do that, because all of Scripture is God-breathed. And we're going to read, even so poorly as I try, I've practiced these names. I really have. And I've already messed up my Hebrew today in front of you, and I am not confident in my Greek uh, names now, but we're going to read together with reverence the word of the Lord given to us. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Syncre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. What a distinction. Gosh, that's awesome. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet the kinsmen of Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphane, Triposa. Greet those, the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord also, his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asinicritus, Felgon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions, create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by, small, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all. So that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good, innocent as to what is evil. And the Lord of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 
Timothy, my fellow worker, he greets you. As do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus, they greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading to the hearing of it. Amen. The title to this sermon, I'm no good with titles. I usually look at Matt and just say, Matt, come up with a title. Uh, and this week I told him a title and then I changed it after print. And so the title is really, really creative this week. It's a list, warnings, and a doxology. That's what's in chapter 16. And Paul says there's something for us to learn and gain from a list of names. And there's something for us to learn from his warnings. And there's something for us to learn from his doxology. And so we're going to start here with these greetings. This list of names that you may stumble over and probably not even read. But if you did, you would see within this list of names that there are 26 individuals. 24 of them are actually named. That it's a diverse group of Jewish Christians and of Gentile Christians, those from Greek and Roman backgrounds, those uh, from Middle uh, Eastern backgrounds in that time. There are those who were people of means and those who were impoverished, those who were former slaves, men and women, uh, those of influence and those who had no influence. And in that list of names, what you see is this. The church is a diverse body brought together by Jesus Christ to be a unified body. That's what Paul's been teaching and talking on. Folks, we're different from one another. Get used to that. The folks sitting next to you are not you. And that's a good thing, by the way. You might not think so, but it is a great thing because in that is this incredible diversity that comes from those from every background, gender, socioeconomic, culture, and all. And Paul says in the middle of this, there are just some great people that we learn something about and be encouraged by. He speaks of Aristobulus. Aristobulus was the grandson of Herod the Great, and he was a dear friend of the Emperor Claudius. How awesome that right there in Rome was someone who had an influence within the Roman government but loved Jesus. You would see that there was Narcissus. Narcissus is similarly a friend and one who was a wealthy man, but a freed man. So he was formerly a slave, but is now a freed man. And he is an influence and had influence over the emperor Claudius. You would see Rufus and go, Rufus? Ah, but you would have remembered Rufus. Why would Rufus be listed in here? Oh, Rufus would probably be listed in here because if I remember right, Mark, who helped Peter basically write the gospel of Mark, Mark was one who mentioned Simon of Cyrene. And in Mark's account of Simon of Cyrene, the man who bore the cross of Jesus and carried it, had two sons, and one of them's name was Rufus. 
And so Rufus, that Rufus, is now in Rome with Mark. And we send greetings to you. And it says, wow, what a diverse group of individuals who are there. And he speaks of Andronicus and Junia, who were, meant, who were known as outstanding missionaries. It actually says that they were apostles, not in the apostles of the twelve, uh, like uh, Paul, an apostle, but of sent out ones, missionaries. What an incredibly diverse group of people within the church of Rome. And then he mentions nine of the names that are given out of the 26 are women. The first mentioned is Phoebe. And it may not seem like anything in our day and age, but in this time uh, of an incredibly patron, uh, patron, I can't even get my words right today. Sorry. A, a, a male dominated uh, <laughs> um, it, culture. Women weren't seen as strong or as equal or as worthy of respect and dignity. And Paul calls Phoebe a friend. More than a friend, he calls her a sister. Chrysostom the Great, uh, father of the faith, wrote this, it is no slight thing to be called a sister of Paul. That she was a woman uh, who was one of means, that it said that she was a patron of the church or a patroness of the church, that she supported the work of the church, that the church would have met in her home even. But it also says that she was a deaconess, that she was a servant within the church. And so she understood that whatever culture would say about her and her greatness within the standing of culture or one who had money and wealth, she still saw herself as no better than Christ and served within the context of the church. And so what you find in even this statement in the beginning is that Christianity has done more than any other religion to strengthen the position of women, to find equality for women both in and outside of the church. And Christ and Paul were highlighting that within a simple list. And so you need to read the greetings. And as I was considering it, I wondered if Paul was to write about the church here, what would the names be that were listed? Would your name be listed in that? Would it say of you, ah, I remember this person for their great faithfulness, for their incredible generosity, for uh, their great service and sacrifice, for their reputation being known within the community of serving, of being one who had an influence in the ear of those who were of power and of influence. So I pray that our names are listed similarly. And I take great comfort, and you should as well, to know that they are. For they're written in someone else's list. Christ says, your name is written on my list. And I look at you in the way that Paul looked at these saints. And he says, I consider you this way. And I love you. And I'm reminded of you. And he sends us his greetings. So there's greetings. But then Paul, you can just see it. Paul in his mind. Oh, and one name that I, I didn't mention but should... Tertius. Tertius is mentioned there in verse 22. He's the scribe. He's the one who actually wrote this for Paul. And so it's almost as if Paul was sitting there and he goes, Tertius, do you want to say anything to the church in Rome? Sure. Hey, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, send my greetings as well. What an honor. Paul was willing to say, your name is now going to be remembered for every generation of humanity since this. Oh, isn't that awesome? Awesome. 
But Paul, being the preacher, the teacher, the apostle, all of a sudden it's almost as if he stopped himself in verse 17 and went, whoa, whoa, whoa. One more thing I meant to mention earlier. You hear preachers do that all the time. We go back and we'll throw it in later. We'll go, I meant to say this earlier. He goes, oh, before I keep going on the greetings and the goodbyes and the summation, I need to give you some warnings. Because I've been preaching and teaching about the unity of the church, about unity within diversity. But I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is well known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to, the, to what is good, and I want you to be innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul was writing now in this little section of warnings, and he was saying, be careful. I've just highlighted this incredible diversity, this incredible unity. I want you to know something, though. This unity and this diversity that you have is going to come under attack. The evil one cannot stand it for the church not to have drama. The evil one cannot stand for the church to be unified and to stand together with one voice. And so what he does is he doesn't often come from outside assault. The church in Rome had plenty of outside assault and was about to have even more outside assault when Nero came to the throne. But what Paul was more concerned about, it's incredibly interesting. Paul was less concerned about Nero or Claudius or any other outside emperor. He was less concerned about them than he was with bad teachers and bad members of the church. That's, just, that's incredibly telling. He says the person and persons who have the greatest ability to do the most damage to the church are actually the ones who are within the church. And he says, so I want you to be very careful. Because there are individuals who will come into the church and they are not serving Christ. There is an assumption within the church. Oh, this person's in church. Oh, this person says that they love Jesus. This person was baptized. This person was rebaptized. This person was doing this. This person is great. They're here. They must be a Christian. Paul says, be aware that they may not be. That they're not serving Christ. They're not serving this God. They're serving another God. And the God is their appetite. And their appetite is for power. Their appetite is for position. Their appetite is something other than Christ. And he says, be careful when they come in and they teach something other than chapters 1 through 11. You know what that means? You need to know chapters 1 through 11. I, I'm not joking. You need to know it so well that if I teach something different, you will stand up and go, Pastor, that's not right. That if I, or the session of this church, or the leadership of our denomination, comes out of Mobile and says something like this. I had a friend who was in a church in West Virginia. 
And after church one Sunday, they were concerned. And so she and her husband went to visit the pastor. They said, Pastor, we heard you say something that made us concerned. What we thought we heard you say was that there's another way to heaven other than Jesus Christ. Is that what you were teaching? Because we believe the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. is through him alone and the confession of him. And the pastor said, well... If you were driving from Florida to West Virginia, I would encourage you that the easiest and most direct route would be I-95. I'd want you to come up I-95 primarily. But you know, there's other ways to get to West Virginia. There are some back roads. They'll take you through the mountains. They're dangerous and they're hilly and a lot of people don't make it. But you can still get to West Virginia. And so... This friend and her husband looked at the pastor and said, we've loved this church for a long time. But we have to submit our resignation as members because you are not teaching the gospel. There aren't back roads to heaven. There aren't side roads that will eventually get you there by your good works. It's not by how wonderful a person you are or how much you do in the world. It is by what Christ has done and him alone and if we or someone else preaches something different than that, we're serving a different appetite. And so, folks, you need to know your theology so well. That's why we want you to study. That's why we have a resource center. We lose money on every book we sell out there. It's not good stewardship in one sense, but the best stewardship, we want you to study. We want you to read something other than the greatest next novel that's out so that you, if you hear something from me, Folks, we live within a country where the churches, the greatest churches, the mainline churches have all but been lost because they've lost this. This came under attack at the turn of the century in the 1900s and through the 1900s in the seminaries and in the universities. And the people who were sitting in the pews and in the chairs were not educated enough to know the difference. And so these things happened right before their eyes. Until now, these churches, so many of them are void of the very word of God itself. Not all of them. It's not carte blanche. But I do want you to hear that. Even some of you have come to me and said, oh, it's so nice to be at a place that holds the word of God as true. I don't understand how a church can't. If this isn't true, we're not a church. We're a wonderful civic gathering, but we're not a church. So know this so well. That's what Paul's saying. Know it so well. And if you see someone teaching something different, avoid them. Don't hang out with them. Be careful, he said, because I want you to be so wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil. That doesn't mean to be complacent. It means this, as one writer put it, don't be so simple-minded that you swallow whatever is offered. Be discerning. Discernment. The ability to listen and to take in and to go, is this right or wrong? You could smell it. You could touch it. You know it so well. The other night, Lisa went shopping, and she bought a big thing of chicken breasts, and they were refrigerated properly, and they were in our refrigerator properly, and the date before they were supposed to be used was still several days out. And so I got it out to grill them and to uh, marinate them, and I set them down on the countertop, and I got my knife out, and I opened the plastic package, and I pulled back the plastic. 
It was such a lovely, disgusting odor. And then I looked and I touched them and they were slimy and gray. And I said, Matthew, dinner's ready. (laughs) Of course not. I'm discerning enough to know that just because the date says I should be able to eat it, I know better than to eat bad chicken because I know what bad chicken smells like. And I took it back to the store where I, my wife had purchased it. And they said, sir, you don't have a receipt. And I opened the bag and she went, "Woohoo!" I was like, that's all the receipt I need. Give me some new chicken. <laughs> Folks, just because I or someone else tells you it's the gospel... Just because I tell you that it is safe to consume, just because it says that it's safe to consume, you need to know better. You need to be discerning. And folks, all you have to do is get on the radio, look on TV, and you will see that there are plenty of people around the world and in our own country who are serving a God other than Christ. And they're teaching something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you need to be concerned about that. And we want to be a church that isn't here to beat up on anybody else. But we want to be a church that highlights these truths. And we celebrate them and grow in them. And that you grow in them as well. And in the middle of these warnings, some most see this as an encouragement. I see it as a warning right there at the end of verse 20. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He goes back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 to the very first gospel where it says that the seed of the serpent is going to bruise the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman is going to crush the seed uh, of the serpent. And it's a picture of Christ coming, of Christ making all things right. And I take it in this way. Encouragement, Christ is going to make all things right one day. Warning, Christ is going to make all things right one day. And you might want to make sure you're on the right side of that warning. And not standing and teaching something other than what Christ died for. Because he takes theology incredibly seriously. There's the warnings. And then Paul finishes with a few more greetings there. And he gets back to, oh, say hey to this person and this person. And churches, you want to say hi? Awesome. That's good. Let's wrap this thing up. How can I wrap up the greatest letter that has ever been written? Oh, I know how. A praise statement, doxology, doxa, praise, glory, low word statement. I'm going to give a praise statement. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation, the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through the Christ Jesus. Amen. Put down the pen. Ah. Doxology. Doxology is praise to God. It is focusing on God's attributes and not our own. What an important reminder in today's day and age. That we want to highlight and focus on God. On who He is. And we say regularly within our church, we do not want to be a great church. We want to be a church that points you to a great God. We want people to talk about Christ, not Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. If you're going to put a bumper sticker on your car, let it say something about Christ, not about us. We want Christ to be known. That's the hope 
We want God to be glorified. That word glory is a word that means a heaviness, an otherness, a weightiness. That there is something glorious about him. That within the context of our worship, that the songs that we choose. By the way, there are thousands and tens of thousands of hymns that we could choose from. We try to choose songs and a parts of the liturgy that are going to point you to Christ and not to man. You see, the ultimate best for us is to be reminded of God's greatness and his attributes. And what Paul actually wrote in verse 27, it doesn't have a verb in it. He actually wrote this. To God, glory. To God, glory. And in it is this almost double meaning because of its lack of having that verb tense in there. One expression within it could be a worshipful statement of fact. That it is a statement, to God is all the glory. Whether you give it to him or not, he's gaining all the glory. He is glorified in everything that happens, ultimately done. To him belongs glory. We are heralding this truth that God is glorious. John Piper wrote this definition for glory of God. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. Ah, this guy's good. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. God is glorious. I drove home Friday evening right as the wind started blowing. I only live a couple of minutes away, but even turning down Gumtree, it looked like a tornado alley. The straight line winds were coming in. The trees were bending. Uh, there were leaves flying everywhere. I turned in to my neighborhood, uh, and this big old limb came crashing out of the tree and hit the side of my car. Uh, and I'm sitting there. The car's fine. I'm fine. Uh, but we're driving. And I sat in the driveway as it's just whipping around and it's going. And you know what came to mind? God is awesome. Not Mother Nature. Not meteorological fronts that move here and there. But God is awesome. That he was just like, Phew! and trees were going snap, snap, snap. And things were whipping around. You know what I think when I'm out on the beach and I see the sun rising in the morning, which isn't often for me. I'm not a morning person. But when I do, or I see the dolphins playing, or when I see much more often the sunset over the marsh, my thought is this, God is awesome. And he receives the glory for all of this beauty in the world and all of this power within nature. He gets the glory in it. And I look in last week holding little Will and baptizing him and thinking this week and seeing the Englands and Leah, they're going to have a baby this week, right? Yeah. <laughs> Better make sure <laughs> before everybody starts sending casseroles. Uh, I thought God is awesome. How as a parent, I get to be co-creator in one sense into the beauty and perfection of something born in the image of the God himself. God is glorious in who he is. And so within this statement is this worshipful statement of fact, but there's also this worshipful expression of longing. There is within this statement an expression of longing 
which goes something like this. May God glory, may all glory be given to him through me. My hope and my prayer is that he's glorified through me. To God be all the glory. May people see him as glorious. Would that be my greatest hope? Would that inform and restrict my actions? That God would be glorious. It's a longing prayer. May all see him as he is and worship him as they ought. Through me. And it made me pause for a second. This week, did my actions point people to the glory of God? We've got new neighbors next door. And as I'm yelling at my dog because she was going to the bathroom in the new grass and not on the pine straw because doesn't she know that the grass is going to turn brown and the pine straw is already brown and that I'm yelling at her and losing it with her, I'm thinking to my neighbor, wonder what they're thinking (laughs) if they heard this. Wow, I'd like to go to that guy's church. I'd like to know that guy's God, because if he's a follower and actually a herald of this thing, I thought, oh my gosh, even in my interactions with a silly animal, I have to ask, am I glorifying God? Am I glorifying God in my work and how I raise my sons and how I go about life each and every day? For you, if you're a young person, how you play with your friends, how you honor them, how you go about life. Are you as a family glorifying God? And by the way, just as an aside, as a dad, this is a, this is a true request and plea. We need more families who are willing to stand for their family and want to glorify and honor God with their children because, folks, this area is so tough for our young people to grow and love Christ. And so many parents don't care And we need families to step up and go, I'm going to honor Christ even in the midst of my family. And these things are not acceptable behavior. And I'm not going to look the other way. And we need to be a place like that in our church where we invite anybody and everybody to come in. But to see this incredible, glorious nature of Christ. May God be glorified in the middle of these things. So. These truths are given to us within the midst of this doxology. May Christ be praised for his wonderful work of his power through the gospel for the nation's coming, for faith that leads to obedience. Would Christ be praised? And he put the pen down. Amen. And so we'll end there. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word preserved for us. And we pray that we would be good stewards of it. We pray that we would have characteristics and qualities and traits of many of those who were listed there in Paul's greetings. Known for our faith, known for for our love for you and love for others. Father, I pray that we would be a discerning church and discerning individuals. We would be wise in the things that pertain to you. And that we would be innocent of evil. But we would know it so well that we would know not to let it in our homes, not to let it into our churches, into our businesses and schools. So, Father, we pray that at the end of the day, you would gain all the glory. 
in Christ. We praise you and we lift this to you in your son's name. Amen.